So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 15. So again, um, just a catch up. The announcement of Jesus' birth has been made. The, the shepherds go and uh, they're out there and an angel appears to them and he makes the, the declaration that there's a, the Savior has been born this day in the city of David. And now we get, to fi- we get to verse 15 and it says, when the angels went away. So now the angels, gone. They show up, they make an announcement and they're gone. And, um, and then it says, when the angels went away from them, meaning the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, I want to just pause here for a second. One of the interesting things about this text is it said, let us go over to Bethlehem. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a second. But I just want to throw a question out to us based on this passage that they received a message of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the, the Savior of the world is being born in Bethlehem. And then the shepherds say to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem. Question for you this morning, how far are you willing to go in order to worship the Savior of the world? And we'll talk more about that here in just a second. I want to get into verse 16 in which it says, <clears throat> Luke records it this way, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Lying in a manger. Now, in the Greek, when we understand this, when we look at it, it says that um, when they found Mary and Joseph, it means that they found after a search. Have you ever walked into a room? You walk into a room and immediately you see somebody in your family and they're moving around frantically. And you can tell without even asking a question, right? You're, you're, you see them and they're searching for something. You ever seen that happen before, right? You walk in and, and the question is always this, well, what are you looking for, right? Because we want to we wanna help find it. Like whatever it is you're looking for, like it becomes a game, right? Who can find it first? I don't know. That's how I view things, right? Just always bringing out some sort of competition. Hey, babe, what you looking for? Just as a matter of fact, um, my wife, she's patting her pockets and she's looking. We had gone to Florida this weekend for a, a wedding and uh, she's, she's looking in her pockets and she's doing this and then she's bouncing around from her purse to the, uh, the, the nightstand in the bedroom that we were staying in. And she, I mean, she's just bouncing all over the place and she's looking for something. I can tell them like, babe, what you looking for? She says, I can't find my keys. I can't find the key. So you know, as we, we eventually found the key, so that, that was a disaster, uh, you know, we avoided there. Uh, it would have been awful to be stranded when you're trying to show up for a wedding. Uh, but we found the key. She was looking everywhere. And it was obvious that she was searching for something. When we start searching for things, I don't know about you, but I get tunnel vision. People can start talking to me, and it's like, yeah, I hear you talking, but I don't really know what you're saying. Because I'm so focused in and I'm so intent on the thing that I'm looking for. Like, where is it at? And then I begin to retrace in my head, where was it that I left it? Where have I been? I I begin to do all those steps. You can tell when somebody is searching and they're looking for something. At times when people are searching for things, we begin to take on the appearance of a hummingbird. We bounce from one thing to the next, you know, and we just can't stay still. And we're moving and we're checking and we're changing locations quickly. And then at other times... Um, if you really get, you know, worried, you begin to look more like the Tasmanian devil. The other day, Dee, Dee was looking for something else. It was a Christmas gift. And I don't know about you guys, but Amazon has frequented our house and there are boxes everywhere that we're trying to cover up and we're trying to hide. And, and so the other day she's looking for something and I look down and she's reached frustration mode. 
You, you, ever, you ever find that? And instead of like picking things up and moving them, it's just like toss, 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 toss. And I mean, just stuff's flying. I'm like, this is amazing. She's losing her mind right before Christmas. I mean, this is going to be incredible. And, uh, I, you know, the, you just reach that moment when you begin to destroy things in your path looking for that thing. It's like the Tasmanian devil. So here is what we all know about searches. The intensity of the search is determined by the desperation that you have, that we have, um, and how desperate we are for the thing that we're looking for. Take dental floss, for example. Not that most people look for dental floss, but if you, if you think about dental floss, like if you just go, you know, I, I, I need to floss. I didn't floss earlier. I just need to floss. So you might go looking for dental floss, but you're not going to look for it very hard. But if you've just got through eating corn on the cob, that's a whole desperate level of looking for dental floss. You know what I mean? Like you got to get that stuff out of your teeth right now. Or how about this for another example? Here's another, perhaps a better way to see it. The way we search for a lost sock is much different. None of y'all parents have problems with finding mismatched socks, do you? I find them in couches, under beds. I mean, they just, and some of them, I don't know, they must have raptured out because they're gone. I haven't seen them in a year. But the way we search for a lost sock is much different than the way we would search for a lost wallet, right? I mean, if it's a lost sock, you're like, hey, I would love to find the match so I can make these two socks complete. But you lose your wallet? There's a little bit different level of desperation when you're looking for your wallet, right? You begin to think about, well, who's got my ID? Who's opening bank accounts? Who's got my social security card? Who's spending? Who has uh, opened up a Venmo account with my debit card? And they're now sharing stuff and buying stuff. It happens all the time. And so then we start to get worried and we become desperate and we're frantically looking for our wallet. So the way we look for our wallet is a lot different than the way we look for a lost sock. And the intensity of our search is determined by how desperate we are for what we're looking for. The way we search for a lost shirt is going to be much different than the way we would look for a lost child. And if you lose your shirt, you know, you're like, man, where's that shirt? I haven't worn that thing in a while. You might look for it. You might not. But you may, you know, go through your, your, you may go through your closet, you may go through one of your drawers looking for the shirt, but man, you lose a child, and suddenly the desperation turns up another notch. There is more desperation for one than there is for the other. And the desperation for what we are looking for determines the intensity of our search. Now, it says that the shepherds, as they were looking, as they began to determine that they were going to go to Bethlehem to see this thing that had happened, it says that they went, in verse 16, they went with, what's the word? They went with haste. In 1987, uh, there's a very popular song. Matter of fact, this group particularly, it was, I, I dare I say, their most Famous song. The group is U2. Does anybody have an idea what the song might be? I still haven't found. Yeah, you know the song. Very spiritual layers in context behind that for that group. And so they sing this song and it became a Grammy nominated song for Song of the Year. I still haven't found 
what I'm looking for. Um, this could very well be the anthem of people in the church today. And not just today, it's seemingly been the anthem of the church for, for years now. The decline of the, in the church in America has been well documented. Um, in 2019, there were 4,500 churches in that year alone in the United States of America that closed their doors. In 2021, there was a study done that found that over the last two decades, the median worship attendance average in the U.S. has declined 53%. So from the year 2000 to this day, the median attendance average in churches across the United States of America has been cut by more than half. So we have to ask our question, why? Why is it that people have quit attending church more frequently? Why is it that people have stepped out of the church and into the world? I mean, isn't, I mean, what did they, here's a better question. What did they show up for in the first place? Why are you here? Why did you show up? The reason I think for the decrease in attendance is possibly because people who showed up to church maybe attended for a year or two or Maybe it wasn't even that long. Maybe they attended for six months and, and, and maybe they began to sing that song. I showed up in the church and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So that leads us to another question. Well, what are we looking for? When we show up to church, what are we looking for? What are you looking for in life? What are you looking for this season of Christmas? What are you looking for? To which we would all answer, and most people who show up to churches answer this the same way. Most people, when um, they go, you know what, we, we get to get our family in church, we want to start attending church, and we show up and we go, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for God or Jesus, same answer, right? And that's what they say. I, I'm just looking for Jesus. I'm, I'm looking to know him. I'm looking to worship him. I'm looking to know more about him. I'm I want to experience Jesus. So that's what they're looking for. And if that's the case, follow-up question to that question, what are we looking for? And particularly for those who have left the church, or, or for us in particular today, if, if the, the thing is, is that people are looking for Jesus or God when they show up to church and then they attend church for a while, but now we see decline in the church in America at a rate of 53% since 2000, then why are people leaving the church? If they showed up looking for Jesus and they left the church, then why is it that they left the church? Well, the shepherds... Um, We'll get more to that question in a second. The shepherds knew what to look for. Okay, so let, let's just kind of unpack this a little bit. In verse 12, back in, you know, earlier in chapter 2, if you look there, it says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. They knew what to look for. The shepherds, when they started on this journey to Bethlehem, they knew what they were looking for. Just like many of us, when we showed up to church for the first time, when we said, you know what, I, I don't know what's going on in my life, but if, I feel like church may have the answers, and I'm going there looking for answers from God, from Jesus. I want to find him. I want to experience him. And we showed up looking for that. 
We knew what we were looking for. The shepherds knew when they left to go to Bethlehem. When they left that field on that night, they knew where they were going and they knew what they were looking for. They were looking for a baby. And they knew where to look for it. In verse 15, it it says, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. They knew. The angels had told them. They knew where to go. And they knew what they were looking for. When we read the Bible, it's really important that we pay attention to the details. And a lot of times the details, the really good stuff, is in the things that we just skim right over. We think, oh, that's just, you know, it's just a simple little word. But we have to begin to ask ourselves questions as we read these things, as we look at the Christmas story. And this is one of the problems with the Christmas story. It's so familiar to us that we're like, oh, we know this story. So we don't like dig in. We don't really look at all the details that are in here. But when we read this, when we, we can read that the shepherd saying, let us go over to Bethlehem, we can read that and we can make bad assumptions about what this text is saying. For instance, we, have, we may have read that text and thought, well, you know, when the angels appeared to him, Bethlehem was just, I mean, they were right outside of Bethlehem. And so when the angels said to them, hey, there is born to you in this day in the city of David a Savior, that all they had to do was make a 10-minute walk to get to Bethlehem, and they could go see the baby. But that's not the case. In the Greek text, what it is really saying is that they are going to have to um, go some distance in order to get there. The wording of it suggests that the shepherds were located a pretty good distance away from Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, many scholars support that in saying that, They probably had to walk as far as 90 miles in order to get to Bethlehem. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like to drive 90 miles. But I certainly don't want to walk 90 miles. And here the shepherds are in the middle of the night. And they're saying, hey, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us, and it says, and they went with, what was the word again? Do you remember? They went with haste. In in other words, they went with urgency. They went quickly. Dare I say they went desperately. They went with desperation because, I mean, you got to think about this. These guys had heard the story, the prophecies of the Messiah for hundreds of years, and now it's happening It's time, like the baby is here, the Savior has arrived, God in the flesh, we got to go see this thing now. I don't know about you, but if I don't care what time it is, and and I don't care how cold it is, or how rainy it is, or whatever it is, if God says to me, hey, um, the Savior's been born, I'm going. I'm going. Like, I'm not waiting. I I can't wait. Like, I want to go see it as bad as a four-year-old waiting for Christmas morning. You know what I mean? Like, like. Y'all know the thing, right? Like You want to sleep in because you, you're tired. Christmas week has been long. You've been probably going to family member after family member. You've gone, 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 gone. You probably got in bed on Christmas Eve at about 2 in the morning, and then your kids wake up at 4 a.m. because it's Christmas, and we want to open presents. They go with haste. You know what I'm saying? And the shepherds get the announcement, and they go quickly with urgency, with desperation, and they desperately look for Jesus. Now remember, the desperation for what we're looking for determines the intensity 
of our search, how frantically we go after it, how hard we go after it. What are you desperate to find this Christmas? Because again, the desperation of what we're looking for is going to determine the intensity of our search. And we've spent this whole month talking about, hey, let's, let's not get to the end of December, start taking down Christmas lights and Christmas decorations, putting them in the box, put it in the attic, and say to ourselves, I missed it again. So where are you desperate to find this Christmas? Is it a great deal at a store? Is it uh, the, the perfect gift? Or is it something much deeper than that? And not just much deeper, more satisfying. What are you looking for this Christmas? Verse 17. And what? What are those words? Read those aloud. Let's go. And, and when they saw it, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And when they saw it, sometimes I feel like Jesus is a stereogram. Now, if you don't know what a stereogram is, I'm sure you've seen one before. You just may not know what the title of it is. A stereogram is simply a picture that looks like a bunch of mosaic colors put together that you look at it and you go, man, it just looks like a palette of colors. That's all it looks like. But if you stare at it rightly, and you may have seen these before, if you stare at it just right, suddenly a three-dimensional image pops off of the page at you. That's what a stereogram is. And sometimes I think that Jesus is like a stereogram. And here's what I mean by that. I remember years ago, and I've shared this story with you all before, but it's just important for the illustration. Um, I remember that there was a stereogram. I was in high school, and a bunch of my friends were looking at this picture. I thought they were playing a joke on me, because they were like, do you see the well? And I'm like, I don't see anything. And then you feel left out. You know what I mean? Like, you get to that point where you're like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be stupid. Yeah, there's a well. I see the well. <laughs> you don't see it at all. I mean, you're lying. And you don't see it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I see that. And sometimes I feel like that's how Jesus is. For us in the church. church, church seems to be filled with people, and not this church, I mean just all churches in general, Big C Church, church seems to be filled with people searching to see Jesus. And like the stereogram, many people want to see it and they, they show up to church, I mean like Kind of like I stood there for about an hour trying to figure that stereogram out. People just show up week after week, month after month, and they show up to church and they're trying to see Jesus. It's like, that's where I expect to show up and see Jesus. I want to see Jesus because if you're going to find him anywhere, you're going to find him in the church. So they show up and they're trying to see him. And they want to see him so desperately that they, they just watch other people sometimes. They watch the people on the stage. They watch the singers, the musicians. They watch, they watch me. They, sometimes they watch you if they're in your Sunday school class or your small group. They watch you and they show up and they want to see Jesus and they're watching. They might even to pretend to see Jesus like I did the stereogram. 
Like, oh yeah, I see it. And, and we do that in a variety of ways in the church because we can come into church and honestly, man, the people are just so friendly and so nice. And, and you know, when we have get-togethers, they're fun and it's a good time. Like, again, you guys should really come tonight. It's going to be a, I'm just telling you, instead of staying home and watching a football game that nobody cares about, just show up here. Tonight, it's going to be fantastic. I promise you, you won't regret it. If you show up tonight and you say, hey, I really didn't care for that, we'll give you your money back, okay? <laughs> it's a free event, by the way. But you really should come. But people show up to see Jesus. And when they show up, they're really trying hard to see him because they want to. Like, I want to see it. I want to see. I'm desperate. I'm searching. It's what made me get up. It's what made me come here. It's what made me begin the search process to begin with. And, and they show up and they even may get a secondhand glimpse of Jesus. They, they might even get secondhand worship experience. What I mean by that is there's just some people when they're worshiping, man, you just look at them and go, oh, man, they love Jesus. And we take their expression of worship to be our expression of worship, and we get what somebody called secondhand worship. And so we get that glimpse of joy for Jesus through the fact that we see how much others might love him. But here is what I want for you. This is what I want for every one of you. Every one of you here this morning, everyone who's watching online, here's what I want. We want you as a church to see him with your own eyes, not through the eyes of other people. You know, when I saw that stereogram the first time, I didn't see it really. I was saying I saw it, but I was seeing it through their eyes. They told me what was there. And I think sometimes that's what people do with Jesus. They go, oh yeah, yeah, the worship service was great. Loved the message. The music was fantastic. Um, I loved seeing other people worship. It was just so great. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Did you worship? When we were up here singing or they were up here singing, if I was singing, you would have left already. It, when they were up here singing, did you worship? Let me ask you a question. Does God have your attendance or does he have your attention? Which one does he have? Because it's a big, big difference. See, when God gets our attention, he gets our affection. And when he got our affection... Man, you start to sing, kind of like when you fell in love with that girl the first time, guys, you know what I'm talking about? You wouldn't admit it, but you started singing songs. I don't know what decade you came from, but it could be anything from Journey to Sticks to Backstreet Boys. I don't know. But you sang songs because she had the affections of your heart. How many of y'all had a song when y'all were dating? That's our song. And you listen to it. It'll pop up on the radio even now today, and you go, oh, that's our song. <laughs> we want you to see Jesus with your own eyes. Not through the eyes of other people. So if you show up and Jesus... If, if you're just here for attendance, like for Jesus to get your attendance but not to get your attention then you're, never gonna, you're always going to see Jesus through the eyes of other people. You'll never have a firsthand experience with him. So the shepherds, when they make the journey, it says when they saw it. When they saw it. By the way, the intensity, again, of our search will be determined by our desperation to find him. 
Did you show up searching for Jesus? Maybe that's our problem. Maybe the reason we're not seeing Jesus in church is because when we show up, we're really not searching for him as much as we're just showing up. But when they saw him, look at verse 18. And all who heard it, so they've shared the message. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, listen to this, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I love that it says Mary treasured up these things in her heart. You know, one of sometimes I think that the world just gets so busy and that's what we've been dealing with this whole Christmas series. The world gets so busy that even coming to church becomes a pain in the butt. And then when we show up, we just show up and we miss the whole thing. We walk away from our church worship experience and we're like, yeah, it was cool. It was great to see people. I love, you know, what, the coffee was good. The band was good. The music. And we miss it. And we don't see Jesus. We end up, again, seeing Jesus through the eyes of others. And I love that it says that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The greatest moments in worship for me are when I have to shut up because God told me, like, like God so overwhelmed me in the moment that I choke up with tears and I can't continue singing because of what God is revealing to me about his goodness. And I ponder them in my heart. And every encounter with God in a moment of worship is a life-changing moment. And it's what makes me go, man, of all the things that I have on my calendar, this is my favorite. And then it says, she pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. In other words, when they had heard and seen everything, they began to worship. Now, I want to go back to that question that I asked a while ago. If people are showing up searching for Jesus, then why is it that over the last 20 years we have seen a steady decline in church attendance in America? What does that tell us? Why are so many people leaving the church? Perhaps it's because they're searching and they're looking for him and they know, they know where to look for him and they know what they're looking for. But maybe it's when they show up to the church, they're not finding him. And as time passes, as time passes, they, they come week after week. And as time passes and they don't see him, after a while, they'll get like you and I would with any stereogram that we've stared at for hours. We would just give up. And so people have given up, maybe, possibly, apparently, on searching for Jesus. And so they've just left. And they've quit. And they leave. So who is responsible for helping people see Jesus? And the answer is all of us. It's all of us. It's not my job. Just my job. It's not just the worship team's job. It's not just your Sunday school teacher's job. It's not just your deacon's job. It's, it's all of us. 
All of us own the responsibility of helping people find Jesus when they show up in this place. Let me give you some scripture to support that. I think I had the reference wrong, so I took it out of the slides. But um, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is an action, not a word. We say all the time, we love you, we love people, and, but do we demonstrate it? If you tell your spouse you love her but never demonstrate any action that proves that to be true, then does she believe that? 1 John 4.12 will be on the screen for you. No one has ever seen God, so here it is. I mean, John's writing this to us, and he says, hey, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, watch this. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It's almost like when we love one another, what John is trying to tell us, when we love one another, people see God. So maybe the reason that people are showing up to the church and then they're leaving because they can't find Jesus might be because we're not loving one another appropriately. Well, how do we love one another? We serve one another. Yesterday in the wedding that I did, um, the wedding that I was a part of, I didn't officiate the wedding, but I did the, the, they wanted to do a communion service and they wanted to do this melting glass thing where you take two jars and you pour it in and then you take that glass that you poured into the one jar together and you get it melted down and they make it into a vase. And I just remember thinking in the moments of performing communion, for them, that when we, you know, we take communion and there's the, there's the body and there's the, there's the bread which represents the body and then there's the grape juice or the wine that represents the blood. And, and I remember just having this moment with them where I'm telling the couple, it's like, look, the body, the bread represents the body which was broken for us. That's sacrifice. In, in a love relationship, you got to be willing to sacrifice, and the, the blood, it represents the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So it represents forgiveness. And in, in love, there's got to be forgiveness. Sacrifice. Forgiveness. Sacrifice. Forgiveness. So I wonder if, you know, when people show up to the church, do they see us loving one another appropriately? Are we willing to forgive people or do we hold on to grudges? Are we willing to serve people even when it's inconvenient? Even when it's inconvenient. You'll, by the way, you will never find greater joy in your relationship with Jesus than when you serve him. And it might be doing something that scares you to death. It might be something that you have zero interest in. But when you do, God takes the little bit that you bring and he turns it into this amazing and beautiful story that he works out in your life and your life will never be the same, I promise. Listen to this, Jeremiah 29, 13. Um, you seek me, you will seek me and find me when you what? Seek me with all your heart. Have you sought Jesus this Christmas with all your heart? Have you carved out the time to do that? When you come here, do you seek Jesus with all your heart? Throughout your week, do you seek Jesus with all your heart? The reason that a lot of people don't ever find him, the reason that people don't see him is because they're not searching with all their heart. Because there's a promise from Jeremiah that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ephesians 4.16, I want to focus on the last half. He's talking about how the church is equipped with pastors and teachers and evangelists and shepherds. And he gets into all this stuff and he says that... Um, 
He says, uh, from the whole body, who from the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So in other words, God equips the church with people who have spiritual gifts for the purpose of doing something. And then watch what he says. He says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? In love. Church, are we willing to love people appropriately so that they can see Jesus? And how we love people is we serve them. There's really no other way in Scripture that we can appropriately love people. We can say we love people, but until we're willing to serve people, we're not willing to love people. So how do we, how do we, where, where can you, where can, what can we do? How can we serve people better? And that's a question, honestly, that I'm wrestling with as we look at 2023. How can we serve people better? I don't mean that we need to do more than we're doing. We just, how can we serve people better? Because you're like me. None of us needs more to do. But is there a way that we can do what we do better so that people who walk in this church will see Jesus and they will be able to walk away with a lifestyle of worship just like the shepherds did? It's incredible to me, and I'll wrap up as our musicians come to the stage. It's incredible to me the order of these events which led us in the order of our questions that we tackled. Think about this. So the first question we asked was, have you made room for Jesus, or will you make room for Jesus this Christmas? That was week one. Then week two was, when you fear, what message do you hear? And it's amazing to me that when the shepherds decided to go, I don't care how far it is, it's 90 miles, I don't care, I'll walk. We're going, and we're not going to wait until three weeks from now. We're going right now, we're going with haste. When they quit fearing, and when they made room in their schedules for Jesus, then they were able to go, and when they went, they were able to worship. Maybe the reason we haven't worshipped, maybe the reason you haven't worshipped in a while, in a way that stirred the affections of your heart, is because there are underlying fears, or maybe you're like me, and you've just so overfilled your schedule that you haven't even had a moment to sit down and be still and know that He is God. So we have one last song that we're going to sing, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for every one of us to worship. Not sing. There's a difference. You can sing if you want to. But I want you, and I pray that you will, in this next few minutes together, that you'll genuinely worship. That you can close your eyes if you know the words. If you don't, open them and close them. Long enough to read and then close them. Whatever you got to do. Avoid distractions. And worship the Savior who was born to us 2,000 years ago in the city of David. And his name is Jesus. And he loves you. He so loved you that he gave his life for you. And if you don't know that, if you've never accepted Jesus as the Savior of your life, I want you to know that there was a reason that we had to celebrate Jesus coming. Every single one of us in here, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does it mean to sin? 
if you have ever lied, stolen, uh, if you've ever talked back to your parents, you have sinned according to Scripture. And what that means is your relationship with God, my relationship with God was broken. Jesus had to come in order to become the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to pay for that sin. Sin had to be paid for. It's a debt. And you can't pay for it. You don't have enough in your account, neither do I. So Jesus came to pay a debt that me and you couldn't pay so that we could live a life that Jesus created us to live. 